This morning, as you know, uh, the Lord has uh, given us an opportunity to hear from uh, three individuals. As I won't be delivering the message, it will be able to hear from three individuals who will be uh, preaching uh, this morning's message. And some of you might ask yourself as to why are they doing this? Is it simply because um, I've asked them to or they're on this mission trip or whatnot? Partly. The reasons are, are multiple. One is that they are on this mission trip to go to Africa. And when you're going to Africa, part of a mission trip, part of the cultural expectation is that you would stand to speak. You will be able to teach or share something that is helpful to the people that are there. If you ask David when he went to Nigeria or even uh, Andrew, who has come back from Sudan, they were asked to say something, whether to dental students or to the church or whatnot, and to share something. Well, we want to have them prepared for that, and so I have asked them to share that. But more importantly, when we met with the missionaries whom we will be going to partner there in Uganda, the first part or good part of their meeting with us was that they asked us if we would examine our motives as to why we were going. Their primary reason for going is not just humanitarian, to start a school, to work among child soldiers, to work among widows and orphans, which they do. But their primary purpose that they shared with us is that they would share the word of God. And they said, if we are not coming to share the word of God with people, then we really should examine our motives as to why we are going in the first place. So each and every person on the team, I've asked them if they would prepare to share devotional thoughts, messages, testimonies, so that they would be ready to share and they will have the opportunity to share the word of God. Because as the book of Isaiah reminds us, the grass withers and the flowers will fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And as one of the Men shared with me kind of on the side. He said, yeah, you know what? We can help them. We can make them well so that they'll feel better. But a year later, they may die. But if we give them something from the word of God, that will last them forever. And I feel that that's very important as well, because the word of God is what we want to share, whether it be through the means of music or through the means of medical attention to their needs, we have the privilege of sharing the word of God. And so this morning, you'll notice in your bulletin, there are three message notes that are here that you can take some notes. I've asked each of them if they would share something from the word of God for 10, 15 minutes or so, a message that they can share. And they've prepared for a long time. We began preparing back in February and uh, they've written it out. And I'm really, really proud of them, looking forward to what they have to share. And this morning we have three, and we will begin with uh, David Miyatake, and then go to Don, uh, Jim Yamashita, and then Don Chin. So I'd like to encourage you in to not only uh, encourage them, but to ask yourself not so much the question of how did they do or how well did they speak, but ask yourself the question as I ask myself, what is God trying to teach me? Because it's easy to compare or easy to think about the techniques. But ask yourself, what is God trying to teach me? So this morning we begin with Dave Miyatake. And let's give him a warm round of applause.
Thank you very much. Uh, first off, I'd just like to thank Pastor Joe and Pastor James for allowing myself and Don and Jim to come up here and speak today. And they don't just let anybody come up here and speak. I know it's an honor to, to speak up here. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So as you know, I'm, uh, my name's David, and I'm married to Vicki, and uh, I have a daughter, Barbara, she's 18 now. And about oh, 14, 15 years ago, my wife uh, asked me one, one afternoon, she said, can you watch Barbara for a little bit, because she had some errands to run, my wife Vicki. So I said, fine, I can watch Barbara, that'd be fun, I enjoy hanging out with her and spending time with her. So I asked Barbara, you know, what, what would you like to do this afternoon? She says, you know, can we go to the aquarium? I said, well, fine, I like going to the aquarium, I like, I like looking at fish, it's fine. So we drove to the aquarium down at the Seattle Aquarium down at Elliott Bay. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we drove there. And uh, they have no dedicated parking for the Seattle Aquarium, no big parking lot. They just have all these little parking lots kind of across the street. So uh, me and my daughter were driving kind of in and out of these little parking lots. I'm trying to find a space. And let me tell you, I cannot find a parking space. There's like nothing there. Nobody is like leaving the aquarium to uh, open up a space. There's nothing. So I'm driving in and out, in and out. I'm getting a little frustrated. And I tell Barbara, you know, kind of in my little frustrated voice, we can't find a parking space, you know. So she's quiet. She's kind of, I'm just trying to find a space, looking all over. And she's helping me a little bit. And then she says to me, Daddy, I prayed that we would find a parking space. I thought, wow, that's good. That's good. She's a girl of prayer. You know, they're, they're teaching us something at this church, at least. Good. So I was, I was, I was happy. Uh, you know, at least well, something's good coming out of this trip. And then, lo and behold, a few minutes later, we find a parking space. And I'm so happy. And, and as we're getting out of the car, going to the aquarium, I tell my daughter, it was because of you and your prayer that we found that parking space. And she had, oh, she was so proud. You know, she's just a little four-year-old. And she had a little smile on her face. She's proud. And hey, we're going to the aquarium. So I was real happy about that. But I'm thinking to myself, do I really believe that? Do I believe that her prayer found that parking space? Because let me tell you, I have found parking spaces on my own before. I've gone to Costco when it's really, when it's really busy, and I found a parking space. And I've gone to South Center, and during Christmas time, I have found a parking space. Let me tell you, even today, I pulled into this church, I found a parking space. I did. Actually, I was so nervous about this sermon, I came half an hour early, so the parking spot was, like, empty, you know? But I, was, I found a parking space. So, the thing is, should we be thankful? Should we praise God? Should we be thankful for a parking space? And before we answer that, let me tell you another story. This story I found in Reader's Digest. It's a fictional story. There's a man. He's in a rowboat. He's out in the middle of the ocean, about three miles off the, off the shore, and he's fishing, okay? And he's been fishing all day, and he, can't, he hasn't caught anything, nothing. And he's in this little rowboat, and he's not a very good swimmer. And all of a sudden, his little rowboat springs a leak. Not just a little leak, I mean a big leak, about the size of a half dollar. And water is just gushing out all over this boat. And he knows, oh, he's in trouble. He starts rowing vigorously fast towards shore. He's not going to make it. He's not going to make it. So he, start, he thinks, okay, I'm going to go... I'm going to pray. He prays to God. He says, God, you can see I'm in a jam. I'm in a pickle. Can you get me out of this? If you get me out of this, I'll go to church every Sunday. I'll, I'll read the Bible every Sunday. I'll turn my life around. I'll be a good person. And as soon as he finishes his prayer, he looks up. And there's this giant sailfish. A sailfish. A huge fish. And it's, it's, it's up jumping out of the water. And a sailfish has this like long horn or bill or beak out of its, out of its uh, mouth. And he's jumping, and, and, and lo and behold, he realizes this, this fish is going to go into his boat, his little boat. And he looks, and that giant bill, it goes right into the hole of his boat. And it plugs the hole, and the, the, the leak has stopped now, and he's so happy. And not only that, he has this giant fish now that he can eat for dinner. So he's so happy. So immediately, he goes to 
to the Lord in prayer. And he says, God, I've, um, God, he says, God, remember that prayer I sent you 30 seconds ago? You can cancel that because I've worked things out myself. <laughs> so, so what, we have two totally different stories. Two, two with prayer and good outcomes at the end. But what is the proper response to that? So for the proper response for the second story, let's go to the Bible. Let's go, to, go to Jonah 2, 1 and 2. This is another fish. We have a, kind of a lot of uh, fish things going on today. Jonah 2, 1 and 2. I have to be kind of fast because I don't have much time. I only have 10 minutes. Okay. So from Jonah 2, 1 and 2. People are still flipping. Okay, I'll read Jonah 2, 1 and 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So here was Jonah, and he's actually saying this prayer from inside of a fish, what I find kind of unusual. I'm not a biblical scholar or anything, but I'm thinking this is probably the only prayer in the Bible that's said from inside of a fish, right? I can think of no other prayer. But he's praying this, and and you might ask yourself, why is he praying? Why is he thanking God that he's inside of a fish? I mean, if I were inside of a fish, I wouldn't be thanking God, right? So let's, maybe, let me tell you a little background story of Jonah and how he got into this fish and why he's so happy he's in this fish. Jonah is a prophet of God. He's a messenger to the people from God. And one day, God told Jonah he needed to go to Nineveh and preach to the people of Nineveh and tell them to repent. But now let me tell you about Nineveh. Nineveh was a major city in the Assyrian uh, Empire. And the uh, Assyrian Empire, they were mean, cruel, evil people. They were bad people. And, and Jonah didn't like them. And the Israelites were like enemies of the Assyrians. So Jonah, when Jonah heard, that, heard from God that he had to go to Nineveh, he didn't want to go. Not only did he want to go, not only did he disobey God, he went in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He went out into the ocean. He took a ship and went out into the middle of the ocean. But God found Jonah. And what happened was, in the middle of the ocean, where the ship is, God created a great storm, a huge storm. And the ship was about ready to sink. The people who were on the ship were so afraid. And the people on the ship realized that it was Jonah. It was Jonah who, who God made the storm for. It was Jonah who was disobeying God. So reluctantly, the people on the ship threw Jonah overboard. And Jonah now, he's bobbing in the ocean in this big storm, and he thinks he's going to die. Surely he is going to die. And that's when God allowed this fish to swallow him up. And that's why he, Jonah, is praising God for this fish. So, the point is, we should praise God when, we're, when God saves our lives or when God does great things for us. I don't know if, God, if you've ever had your life saved or if you've been in maybe a situation where you thought you might die. I remember one time, myself, I almost got hit by a truck. I mean, not just, oh, I almost got hit by a truck. I mean, I almost got hit by a truck. This truck was just that close. It was so close, I didn't even recognize it was a truck until about 15 seconds after it passed. I almost got killed. And that was uh, something I will always remember. And I'll always thank God for, for just letting me just not get hit by that truck. 
Maybe you've been in the hospital, you've been sick. Maybe you've had a loved one who was sick and thought, wow, maybe this person might die. But then God has saved, God has been great to you, right? God has saved that person. So we should always be thankful for God when he does great things for us. We should praise God when he does great things for us, saves our lives, or does other things in our own lives. Just like Jonah did when he was in the fish. But what about smaller things? You know, small things like maybe like that parking space I got. So let's turn to another famous, uh, another famous Bible verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 1 Thessalonians 5.18 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances... For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So in everything we should give thanks. For our food, job, good health, finding, even finding a parking space. Do you consistently do this? I sure don't. Sometimes I think, you know, I do these things, I take them for granted, right? You know, you know, I did it on my own, like that parking space. I think I did it, but really we should be praising God for everything that he does for us in our lives. I remember a time at a, I was at a mission meeting. Uh, this was a, a mission trip I went on a long time ago. Myself and Tom, we went to Mexico. And during that meeting, uh, anytime anything good would happen, even a small thing, the, the, the mission leaders would just praise God. They would praise God for everything. Praise God that the food is here. Praise God that the, we caught the bus on time. It was a praise God for everything. And we were just praising God for all kinds of things. And I remember one person in the team just kind of said to themselves, I wonder if we, do we really need to praise God for everything? He was just talking to himself. And, and uh, you know, do we need to give thanks for everything? And I, I didn't know what to make of that. I was a young Christian, and I kind of thought about that. But I thought, well, what if God does do He does all these little things for us, and we don't say anything. We don't acknowledge Him. We just acknowledge the big things. How would that make Him feel? I would think it would make Him feel bad, I would think. Have you ever done some small thing for somebody? Maybe uh, just a small thing. Maybe like, I, mean, I know sometimes when we're at the mall, my wife and I, I hold, we go to the mall and I open the door for her and she goes through. And then uh, sometimes there are people behind her and I hold the door open for them too. And usually they tip their head or they thank me or say something. But every once in a while, they don't say anything. I hold the door open, they just walk right through. I say, what, what's the deal? You think like I'm the mall usher or something? What is the deal? You know? so, but then, you know, it makes me a little upset. You know, I don't get mad. I start yelling at them, but I just kind of wonder, well, what's the deal? But maybe, you know, maybe that's how God feels when, when we do these things. When he gives us a parking space and we don't say anything. So let's always remember that. Okay? And then, but what if things have gone bad lately? Maybe you've just had a bad day or a bad few years. Maybe you lost a lot of money in investments, lost your job, relationship with your spouse is poor, your car breaks down. These things are bad. Maybe you've come to this church today. All you have is a clothes on in your back. What should your response be to God? So the last verse we're going to look at today is uh, Job 121. Job 121. And while you're flipping, let me tell you about Job. Job was a man. He had many things. He had uh, cattle, sheep, uh, just a bunch of animals. He had servants. He had a large family. He had ten children. God blessed him. And he was a godly man. He loved God. But one day, Satan approached God. And, he, and Satan said to God, you know why people love you, God? It's because you bless them with so many things. Satan said to God, if we take away those things, if I take away those things, I don't think people are going to love you. 
So God used Job as a test case. And God allowed Satan to take away all of Job's blessings. His cattle, his sheep, his servants, and even his ten kids. All this happened in one day. Satan did this all in one day. And what do you think was Job's response? Let's take a look at Job's response in Job 121. Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So he praised God, even when things were bad. He even think, I mean, he lost his ten kids and still he could praise God. You know, when, for myself, when things go bad, I find it really hard to come to God and especially to praise him. I always ask him to make things better, but it's hard for me to praise him. But I know that godly people do. I heard this one story back when I was to the Shepherds Conference in California, John MacArthur's church. I heard this one story about some missionaries. And let me read John MacArthur's own recollection of this story, because I don't want to get it wrong. John and Nora Romansky faithfully served the Lord at a Bible church in Utah, where they reached Mormons with the gospel. They had three children, two daughters and a son. In the summer of 1986, they came to California to enroll their eldest daughter at the Master's College and to visit Grace Community Church, where I served as pastor. Because John and Nora were so thoroughly evangelistic, they also brought two Italian foreign exchange students with them. Neither of the young men were believers. And John and Nora knew that there would be many opportunities to present Christ to them on the trip. So they packed everything up and headed to California. They registered their daughter on a Saturday and took some time to look around and get acquainted with the campus. It was a happy day and they all looked forward to visiting Grace Church the following morning. But as they drove away from the college and headed out to the main highway, their car was broadsided at an intersection by a large van traveling at full speed. The force of the impact catapulted the two girls out of the back of the car, instantly killing both of them. All three boys sustained severe injuries and had to be rushed to the hospital. John and Nora were spared the force of the full impact and several superficial injuries. The whole gruesome scene played out less than a mile down the road from the college. And it wasn't long before I heard about the accident and hurried to be with John and Nora at the hospital. I'll never forget the conversation we had as we waited for news about the three boys. John and Nora were utterly shattered by the loss, of course. The shock and grief they sustained that day were as profound as anyone could imagine. I can only imagine their pain as parents. I don't think there was much I could say that would bring either of them any real relief. But John's response to the whole situation amazed and even encouraged me. He said, My sweeping thought is this. Isn't God good that he took my two daughters who knew Christ and loved Christ and spared these two Italian boys who are not saved? Isn't God good? So when things go bad, let's remember to praise God, just as Job did and just as John and Nora Romansky did. Praise God that we have a Father who watches out for us who cares about us, who loves us, even when we turn our backs on him. In summary, we need to praise God when he does great things for us, like saving our lives. We need to praise God for the little things he does for us, the everyday things, like the parking space. And we need to praise God when things are bad, just as Job did. I have a lot to be thankful for, and the Bible reminds me that in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with you. Thank you, David. David will be doing some dental ministry, and he has a portable dentistry unit that he will be bringing over there. And uh, 
He has been training uh, the rest of the team on how to sterilize instruments on the field, and uh, he's done this before. And then we have uh, our, uh, our uh, friend, Jim Yamashita, who will be seeing patients. He's a, a surgeon, and he will be assisted by Don Chin, who will be dispensing medication for the diagnoses that he'll be giving. But Jim, I'd like to invite you to come on up. Thank you. Well, thank you, Joe, for this opportunity. Thank you uh, again for this time that we can spend together. Uh, a Sunday school teacher had just finished her lesson and just wanted to make sh- sure that she made her point. She asked the class, can anyone tell me um, what you have to do first before you can get have your sins forgiven? There was a short pause, and then in the back of the room, a hand shoots up. The little boy says, sin? So over the past few weeks, as I was kind of pondering what to speak on, I was constantly reminded of God's love and His mercy, and that He's a forgiving God. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are so many times in the Bible when God's chosen people uh, went astray. They went far astray. Um, And yet God remained faithful uh, to His word and He forgave them. It started back in the Garden of Eden when Eve was deceived by the serpent and both Adam and Eve ate the apple, even though they knew God told them not to. When, when Moses left the people in the desert and they uh, created an idol to worship, in spite of the fact that God's guidance and protection and provision was there so clearly seen on a daily basis. David had an affair with Bathsheba and murdered her husband even though he was considered to be a man after God's own heart. Even the Apostle Paul fell short. Uh, In his pre-Christian life, he was uh, considered to be an exceptional student, and uh, he was very zealous in his faith. He actively persecuted Christians and tried to destroy them. But God forgave him, and he used Paul for his glory. These are just a few of the examples. Um, And time time and time again in the Bible... People turned away from God. You know, if it was up to me, I'd be frustrated, probably turn away from them and leave them to their fate. But God remained faithful and he forgave them. I also thought about the times in my life when I was younger and I sinned. Yeah, I guess I even now I do that too. But um, I remember as a child when my brothers and I were playing in the yard next to where my father's car was parked. We were budding engineers and we were probably way ahead of our time at We theorized that we could make the car run faster and better by using green energy. So we sat there and we mixed dirt and water and whatever thing was available, even some organic material, bugs and things. (laughs) But we needed some place to put this great concoction. And in those days, uh, gas tanks didn't have locks on. So we, we opened the gas cap and poured our mixture in there. Well, needless to say, the car didn't go any faster. It wasn't any better. It didn't even run. The, the gas tank had to be replaced. And uh, my parents weren't happy. Um, none of us became engineers. So uh, I also remember a time uh, that I usually don't like to talk about. But when I was in junior high school, I was a little accident prone. I, um, I broke my arm playing football. I uh, was playing basketball with one arm in a cast, and I dislocated my finger. 
I used to like to play and didn't like to stand on the sidelines. So one day, I was just uh, standing on the sidelines watching my friends play basketball. I was, um, probably feeling a little sorry for myself. I had you know my left arm in a cast. My right hand was had a splint on it. That was a pretty sorry sight, you know. And then one of my friends came and started tapping me on the shoulder and started asking me, what, what's the score? Kept tapping me on the shoulder, what's the score? What's the score? And all of a sudden, I just turned and kicked him. And uh, he, he ran away. You know? And, um, I, you know, I always, I always felt bad about that. And, you know, this... <laughs> There, there are still times, you know, that I, I remember in my life where I was just less than pleased with my words um, or my actions. In Ephesians 1, 7 to 8, it says that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The Greek word used here for redemption means to release or deliverance from a state of slavery. The state of slavery in this passage is referring to sin. We all fall short and are bound by sin. Uh, Before I was saved, I heard a lot about sin, and I didn't think I was a sinner. I didn't do any of those bad things. I thought I was a good person. I knew I didn't do everything right. I told a few white lies, put some dirt in my father's gas tank, beat up a friend. But I didn't break any major laws. But when I heard the word sinner, I always thought about the big things, you know, the, the lying, the stealing, cheating, murder, adultery. Now I realize that I was just measuring myself against the human standards and not against God's standards. As a surgeon, we have standards. We have standards of care. When we see a patient, um, when we work them up, the surgery that we do, the post-op management, well, it's all conducted within these standards. But these standards can vary. Uh, just like all human standards, but God's standards are consistent. If we deny the reality of sin and we cut ourselves off from the hope of salvation from it, God is a fair and just God and can't overlook sin. No one in this world can meet his standard. That's why we need his grace. God's love for us is not limited to just a few or to one group, but to the whole world. God expressed his love for us by providing the means for his redemption. He gave us his most precious gift, his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. Jesus paid that price for our sins by sacrificial death on the cross. Romans 5 says that he did that even though we were yet sinners. This satisfied God's justice completely. This forgiveness, this forgiveness is not something that can be earned by anything that we do. All we have to do is receive this free gift and place our faith and trust in Christ. We don't have to earn it. It's free. The book, uh, Les Miserables, by Victor Hugo, was set at the time of the French Revolution. Two of the characters are Jean Valjean and Javert. Jean Valjean is an ex-convict. He's arrested for stealing bread and spends 19 years in prison. Um, While he's on parole, he stays at a bishop's house uh, and steals some silverware and candlesticks. He gets caught by the police, but um, the bishop forgives him and tells the police that the stolen items were actually a gift. Because of this, he changes... um, He has a change of heart and uses his life uh, to help others. On the other hand, Javert is a police inspector who ruthlessly enforces France's harsh laws. 
Javert is incapable of mercy or compassion, and he harbors a strong desire to capture Jean Valjean. So he relentlessly chases him and makes Jean Valjean's life miserable. When the French Revolution begins, Javert is working as a spy. He um, is discovered and he's doomed to be executed by the revolutionaries. Jean Valjean volunteers to do this. But instead of executing Javert, he um, secretly lets him go, even though he knows that Javert is going to continue his relentless pursuit of him. Jean Valjean's actions are an example of forgiveness and mercy. Just like Javert's action caused Jean Valjean's life to be miserable, our simple actions are responsible for Christ's suffering and death on the cross. Even though God knows our sinful nature and that we will continue uh, to sin, he remains faithful to us and will forgive us if we accept his forgiveness. And the key is accepting his forgiveness. In the book, Javert was not able to accept Jean Valjean's forgiveness and ends up taking his own life because he could not give up his old ways and beliefs. In the same fashion, if we don't uh, accept God's forgiveness, our sins lead us to a spiritual and eternal death. So if you desire to have your sins forgiven and to be cleansed from them and to be granted eternal life, if you want this joy and peace that comes from knowing God, come to Christ. John 14.6 says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to the Father is by acknowledging that you're a sinner and placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Apart from this, there is nothing that we can do, no matter how good a life we live. We can never be good enough to uh, meet God's standards. When we accept him, he cleanses us from our sins and forgives them all. This doesn't mean that Christians are perfect, but by God's grace, we are confident that we are saved. How good is that? Thank you. Jim. Jim will be uh, seeing a number of patients as well as uh, doing some teaching in the local hospital. And uh, now we have our third and last guest is Don Chin, who will be helping to set up a clinic, purchasing medicines in Uganda to help to stock this new clinic, as well as dispensing medicine that is uh, prescribed by Jim. And so we look forward to his ministry over there, and we look forward to his ministry of the word now. Don? Thank you. I don't know whether I want to thank Pastor Joe and Pastor James for the opportunity that those two gentlemen thought was great to speak before you. I'm going to have to pray about that situation. (laughs) Well, good morning. And uh, my name is Don. Oh, by the way, uh, I was trying to memorize this so I wouldn't have to read my notes. But after about 10 minutes, the furthest I got was good morning. My name is Don. So, I'm here this morning to share some of God's words with you, and I do sort of have a bit of anxiety, even though that's the subject I'm talking about. (laughs) However, I'm not worried about it, for God is here with us, all of us, and the Holy Spirit should guide me through this message. This morning, I would like to share Matthew's 6.25-34 with you. We'd be kind enough to open your Bible to Matthew 6.25. Therefore, this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor for your body as to what you will put on it. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more, much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So in these verses, Matthew 6, 24, Matthew the author is writing about the worries that people have in their day-to-day living for the basic food and clothing needs. However, in the beginning of the verse 25, the word therefore is used to start this verse. This means that Matthew had drawn a conclusion about other worries of which wealth of the people are a great concern in the verses 16 through 24. So we're not focused on these issues, but only on the worries that people have on their daily needs. A quick review of the three worries in the previous verses, 16 through 24, that Matthew addressed are, do not store up treasures here on earth, but in heaven. The second, do not be materialistic and greedy and become spiritually blind. And the third is that we cannot serve two masters. These are big words in case you're wondering why I can see. In Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The phrase, do not be anxious or worried, depending on which Bible version you have, appears three times in these verses. The basis for these verses 25-34 through 34 is simply to stop worrying about your life as to what you eat and drink, and what you will wear for clothing. I myself worry all the time about different things, and as you can see, I don't lack for food. But the way I dress, and maybe some of you would say, maybe I should worry more about what I wear. But there are people in this world who worry about where the next meal is coming from, like Uganda, where we're going to go. The Bible tells us that for Christians who are children of God, worry is a sin. God will provide, and then, and when we worry, we sin, for we distrust the promise that God will provide, and yet we all do it all the time. If you are a Christian, and you always worry, you need to stop, for God will provide. Various writers, Christian writers, such as William Ng, I-N-G-E, said, Worry is interest-free, excuse me, worry is interest paid on trouble before it's due. Another Christian writer wrote, Worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. If encouraged, it will cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drowned in it. 
And the other writer which I have put in here was that worry is faith in the negative, trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. So we need to plan our lives out and be a good steward of our daily living, but we should not need to worry about food and clothing, for God will provide these things. Basically, Matthews in these verses has divided the, peop- the, the needs of the people in two sections, food and clothing. Food is something we need to have in order to live, and more importantly, fluids to keep ourselves hydrated. The example that Matthews used in verse 26 were birds who did not have a worry in the world. They fly around freely. They don't sow seeds for crops, nor do they reap or gather food in the barn, for our Heavenly Father feeds them. I know we don't fly around and just feed out the land like the birds do, but Matthews wrote, Are you not worth more than they? The answer is yes, we are. For God created us in his image. Probably the greatest example of how God provides for his people was when the Israelites were allowed to leave Egypt after 400 years of slavery. While they were in the desert, the people began to grumble of how they no longer had food that they had from the Egyptians, such as meat and bread and fruits. They complained to Moses and also to Aaron, who was Moses' brother and the high priest. The Lord heard the grumbling and provided manna for them for the 40 years until they came to the border of Canaan, the promised land. Moses even had Aaron put an armorful of manna in a jar to keep before the Lord in the ark with a testimony. An armor, in case you really want to know what it is, is a dry unit of measure about seven and a half pints. Now that you know what armor is. This shows that God will provide for his people. There was a time in our lives that May, my wonderful wife, I wondered if we had enough money to provide for food. We had opened a business, and usually a new business takes time to make a profit. I would give May paychecks, but only on the condition that she would not cash them. It's one of those business expenses on how to cheat the government. But anyway, I don't do that anymore since I'm a Christian. (laughs) So she said, how do we buy food? Well, in those times we ate a lot of rice and a thing called hamburger helper. You guys remember those? I was not a Christian back in the 70s, but God, yet God always provided for us in our son Scott. God had a plan for us. Now we live this plan, for we are now part of his church. Now once again, we are starting to worry about the basics of where the next meal will come from. For like most of you, lately we have seemed to have lost a few pennies or more. I don't work anymore and this has created a burden on me. According to the Bible, I am currently sinning for I am worrying. So the question is, do I trust God? Yes. Since God has made a promise to always provide for his children, I should not even worry and be sinful. For God never breaks a promise. As stated in Matthew 6:27, even if you worry, you will not extend your life even by one hour, but it could shorten your life. The second part of Matthew's message here is clothing. The Sermon on the Mount from Jesus addressed this issue along with food. Matthew's again said, why are you worried about clothing? Back in Christ's time, most of the people that he discipled to probably didn't even have more than what they wore on their backs. 
Some, of course, had one change of clothing, and of course there were the rich who had much more, but basically the, his followers were poor. Here he uses an open field that is abundant with wildflowers everywhere as an example of how God takes care of things. The lilies of the field, as described in verse 28, describes various beautiful flowers. Even here, where grass grows in abandonment, wildflowers grew along with the grass as clothing. The point that Matthew makes here is that God is so good that he even covered the field with beautiful wildflowers even though the grass had no real value and only lasted a short time. There apparently was not much firewood in this part of the hill so people used the dry grass as a source of fuel. It is noted in verse 29 that even King Solomon was not clothed in such a beautiful manner as the wildflowers had clothed the grass fields. Most of us today have enough money to buy clothes, but in today's society, we probably worry more about the style and if it's in fashion. Clothing is something that I really think about. I used to shop at Kmart, but they're no longer in business. But the reason I shopped at Kmart was because May and Aaron always shopped at Nordstrom. <laughs> but anyway, but now I shop mostly at Costco because they're cheaper. There are a lot of other places we can buy clothes at lower prices now, and we should not have to worry about clothing ourselves. Most of us worry more about the style and fashion today in the, in the Western world, but many parts of the world don't even have the luxury more than what they have on their backs. Now, John the Baptist, who came before Christ, was a very humble man. He only had the clothes that he wore, wore and didn't worry about where his next change of clothing came from or the style Matthews 3 4 says now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey I don't, I don't believe that it was a cashmere type of camel hair but a skin of a camel which is very coarse and was of course not tailor made again to worry is to sin if we are to be God's children we must have faith in him to provide for us However, if we don't keep our eyes on God, we could be just like the people of the world who are the non-believers and they worry about everything. What will I have for dinner? Or what should I wear tomorrow for school? Or when I go to work? A doubtful disciple can be like an unbeliever who disbelieves and disregards that God can and will provide for our basic needs. However, we should not be lazy and we need to be a good steward of our basic needs but we should be confident that God will provide for his children's needs so how do we get to be a person that has no worries we are to be in Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior if we confess and repent our sins and believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior by faith and by the grace of God we will have salvation and eternal life we then can seek God's kingdom which will be our priority and once this is done, we can hopefully avoid the anxieties. If we don't stop worrying, we will continue to sin. Some will say, but it's only a little sin. How, can, how bad can that be, such a small sin? By this, by this action, we are actually saying to God, I just don't think I can really fully trust you. Another way to look at this particular sin is that we as Christians know that the Bible has no errors. It is inerrant. Therefore, if we worry about things, we are saying the Bible is wrong. For we doubt God's words on this particular issue. 
So how do we get rid of this needless to worry about our daily living needs, such as food or clothing? We need to study the Bible, which is the good news of God, so we can stay in his words as to how we are to live and always keep, in, keep him in front of us. Otherwise, Satan will always try to creep into our lives to tempt us and to make us worry needlessly. We always need to trust in our Lord. Thank you.